I'm John Freeman. I started out in the comics industry as a comics writer, working with people like Paul Gravett and Ryan Hughes, and uh, worked at Marvel UK when there was a Marvel UK. Uh, on Doctor, Who. my first job was on Doctor Who magazine, and worked with Paul Neary on the Genesis 1992 Marvel Superheroes project, but with uh, in the UK. And from there, moved into uh, went freelance in the mid 90s. And I've always been interested in British comics. I've mean, been at comics events and finding that. Uh, Back in the day when there were only like one comics convention a year in the UK, which was UCAC, 
and there was very little British comics at it, and there were very little British comics on sale. I was always a bit genuinely surprised at that. And so when the web began to develop a bit more fully, I started a blog called Down the Tubes, which I've been doing now for 20 years, much to the surprise of my web host server, who expressed surprise at just how much they are actually storing for me. Rather like Peter's attic, except it's all with electrons. And at that point, it was myself, uh, followed by Lou Stringer and Steve Holland here, who were the only people really who were documenting British comics on, <coughs> online that I was aware of, although there were forums like Comics UK World, and obviously then you can, you know, I think your documentation started a bit later than uh, that. Yes, so mine has only been going for about four or five years. Four or five years, yeah. it seems, seems, seems <laughs> But it's always a go-to <laughs> site. Yes, I did have some articles that I put on like, my own website or other people, other websites before that's that. Yeah. That's probably. But anyway, so I've been documenting British comics and bits around British comics and the advertising and promotion of comics, and obviously in the, at the same time still working in British comics for companies like Rebellion, uh, on and off for uh, for uh, a bit for DC Thompson, a bit for small companies like Lucky Bag, who no longer exist, and, and several independent projects. Um, so, so it's all. Uh, I'm just fascinated by the whole period, and, and obviously, we got in, I got in contact with we got in contact with Peter, or made contact with Peter, and Peter's given me the guided six-hour tour of his of his incredible barn, and I was just and and what was impressed me more more than that is not just that. There's Peter's Barn, but there are archives all around the country now of, of material that you might, where you might least expect it, like the Portsmouth Heritage Centre has a massive archive of, of documentation relating to the one scoops daily newspaper, comic newspaper that was produced by the Portsmouth Evening News um, that included contributions from artists like Brian Walker and, and there were submissions to it by people like Ron Turner and Brian Talbot and many other people who were at the SSI who who he, the, the, the publisher had approached, not knowing what to do, working with a guy called David Slynn, who was an artist on the girls' world. But so there's that, and there's also building up that, you know, obviously there's always been the artwork held by the, at Liverpool University, and there's the increasing girls' archive of girls' artwork. Problems. But we don't, I think it's important that we know, try and find out more about what's, about, what, what's out there, and, and support the efforts of publishers like Rebellion and also DC Thompson, who also have, DC Thompson probably has them most the best archive, because it's been going as one single entity for such a long time until recent years, it's split into Beano Studios as well. But they, even they have had problems where they've had problems where you know things have got water on them, or they've opened up a, a suitcase of material that was was all old faxes from the 1940s, and as you can imagine, all the faxes have disappeared. And no matter how, how what they've tried, they can't recreate what was on those pages. So anything we can do to support some kind of comics museum or some kind of mass archive is to be supported. And, and sorry, just picking up on one thing you said, discoverability as yes, well. So because people can find if, it. if um, you know, there's a number of, of uh, centres out there, but it has to actually be discoverable as well um, yeah. by a range of people. Yeah, I mean, I came across uh, the, the Bolton Library's got a huge amount of stuff in its, in its archive that nobody else would necessarily know, but I only know about it because it's on the archive at... Uh, the National Archive, about if you search for comics there. So, okay. So, a bit. Hi, uh, I'm uh, Chris Murray. I'm Professor of Comic Studies at the University of Dundee. I've been uh, working on comics there for about 20 years. Uh, I've uh, worked very closely with Phil uh, to run uh, comics uh, courses, comic studies courses there. And we work very closely uh, with DC Thompson's and have had quite a lot of access 
uh, into their uh, archives and seen the work that they've been trying to do on it over the last uh, several years. Uh, I wrote a book uh, on uh, the British uh, superhero uh, and I'm currently writing a book called Comicsopolis, which is all about the history of comics uh, in Dundee. Uh, I've been working uh, for what seems like a long time to try and get some kind of comics museum, gallery, uh, collection space in Dundee and hopefully that's coming into some kind of shape soon. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, hello, uh, my name is David Roach. I'm a comic artist. I started drawing for 2018. I still draw for 2018. I work for Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Tops, Panini, anybody. Um, but I'm also a comic fan um, and a writer. I've written or co-written 26 books on comics, art, pop art, that sort of thing. Um, and my latest book coming out in April from Rebellion is Masters of British Comic Art, which is my attempt to create a, like a one-stop shop to show the best or the most interesting artist that the industry has produced in this country. It's going to be enormously contentious because I appreciate not everybody's favourite is going to be in it. <laughs> it's almost 400 pages long, so maybe I'll just have to say there's a volume two. <laughs> um, for about, could, could be as much as 35 years now, I've been writing to this gentleman, Steve Holland, and we've been cataloguing comics together. Um, I have a friend in Cardiff where I live who has almost as many comics as you have, and I've been borrowing them for 20 years now and cataloguing the artists. I'm no good at spotting writing styles, but I like to think I can spot an artist. So I think between the two of us, we've catalogued, well, I can't say every comic ever published, because we don't really do the funnies, but every boy's, every girl's comic, we've catalogued. And I'd say we've got about 90% of all the strips identified as to who drew them. There's a few names that are still Bathing us, though every once in a while a new name pops up. Yeah, last yeah. week. As if by yes. magic. It was, it's been three fairly recent. There's Lily Waller. Yes. Who drew for Lion, uh, he drew Captain Condor, and things like that. We never knew his name. Mm -hmm. He was kind of artist A for a long, long time. Um, but the, uh, uh, the one that you had on your. No, no, it was Lorraine. Uh, ah. But again, it's discoverability. I've forgotten the chap's name, though, because you... Well, it was Walker, wasn't it? Um, oh, yes, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll Don look it up. Walker. Oh, Walker. 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 Yes, yes. An artist who none of us had ever heard of, but drew a strip that I, I've been trying to figure out. He drew a strip called Back, Backstage Betty. I always want to call it Backstreet Betty. Yes. <laughs> it's so different. Backstage Betty. This was somebody who was actually really good. Worked for DC Thompson's for over 30 years, stripped just on the girls' comics, as far as we know. An ultra, ultra slick, polished style that got tighter and tighter and more inhumanly perfect as the years went on. But like so many of these artists, worked in absolute anonymity. And I did begin to wonder if we'd ever find out who it was. And then out of the blue, a name pops up through the son of a writer who'd drawn 
who'd written some of the strips that this person had drawn, and the son knew the name. It's incredible. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, mean I, I know that, I mean, if, I think uh, Steve Steve Holland's blog, uh, if you aren't aware of it, you should be, Bear Alley. Um, his is probably one of the most commented on, that, uh, along with Lou's, for some reason, there's a lot more comments made to his blog than ours. And a lot of, some of the comments are always worth, you know, you picked up leads as a result of some yes. of the things from family who said, oh, my dad drew that, and it's sort of like out that, of the blue. It, that was the idea. The idea, I'm sorry to interrupt this. No, no, you no. The idea behind it was to put up bits of information that I had, even if the information wasn't complete, in the hope that people would come back to me. And mm. it's, it's proven, you know, touch wood, you know, it's actually proven to be um, a very useful source of information. Yes, it comes down to that discoverability again. Yeah. If, you're, if you've got your material out there uh, in a searchable format <coughs> on a blog post or whatever it may be, um, people do search for material that they worked on, material that their parents worked on. Um, and we have had on the Ginty blog a number of people who have written in saying, I wrote this, I drew this. Of course, with writers particularly, how else are you going to find that out? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've, got, um, I've got a picture of this uh, identified artist uh, of, that can circulate up if you don't yeah. do anything naughty on my phone. But, One of the most frustrating things, and the most peculiar aspect, is that, I mean, as many of you know here, a foreign artist drew in Britain for many of us still, still do, particularly for a Spain and Italy and Argentina, they have been easier to discover who they are than the British artists. I, I don't think there's any major foreign artist that we don't know now. I really think, all the Spanish artists I know, I'm sure, because in their own country, they have credits. Yeah, and that Taveras blog is fantastic, yes. that Spanish Taveras blog, is it Taveras? Taveras. Taveras. Absolutely wonderful. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And the Taveras Fera, one of the things you can do is you can search by the signature that somebody signed. Uh, so mm. they've, got, they've got a box for firma, um, because it was very usual in, uh, in those countries to, to sign artwork, and so people had their own ways of signing, you know, would they sign just their first name and so forth. Um, and it seems to be a peculiarly British thing to have not included credits for such long periods of time. Well, well they Lovely tried, they blacked them out, didn't they, Dave? I mean, Ted Kieran used to hide them in, in grass on, on Robert Archie. Oh, you, yeah, you'd yeah, find his know. name in the grass on, on you know, a yeah. big, yeah, big savannah sign of zebra, and they'd hide in the corners, Ted yeah. Kieran's signature. Yeah, it, was, it was almost a game between the artists and the, and the, the Bodgers. Artists, you know? yeah. but, but surely a lot of them, well, must have helped, I imagine, with a lot of those foreign artists, because they tended to work through art agents, mm. of which yeah. there were many who obviously yes, yes. had everybody documented for payment purposes and I imagine quite easy to discover. Uh, you would think so, but no, <laughs> generally they don't seem to have kept their records at all. Right. No, I mean your agent, Barry Coker, mm. he's kept his records to a degree, but mm. looking through his payment books, all he has are numbers, just reference numbers. Oh. So you, you'll know the reference number of the job he got paid for by DC Thompson's. But unless you can look at Thompson's record, you don't know what, what it refers to. But no, I wrote to um, SI in Barcelona about 20 years ago with a few examples of work. And the people running it 
could barely recognize any of them. They sent them around, some of the artists, like Pepe Gonzalez and Jordi Longer and people like that. And they were giving me suggestions. Mostly they were wrong, they didn't have a clue. Mm. No. Oh, memory is so fallible. Again, I found that, uh, you know, people have got either uh, ideas or expectations, you know, possibly misnomers sort of thing about who did what or well, we who had didn't this do with what. Trini Tanture, didn't we, with one of her strips? That's right. Yes. That um, I I'd identified as being by her. She came back to you and said, "Oh no, I didn't draw this. This is someone drawing in my style." Then a couple of was it weeks it, or it, months? Yes, it was, later? it was only a few weeks later. She went, "Oh, you know what." It was me. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very badly drawn. I must have been ill. Uh, uh, they, 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 the script asked for the girl to look like she had tuberculosis. It wasn't my fault, honestly. But yes, there, exactly. and, and there are other occasions. I won't name the book or the, or the writer, but uh, Rebellion put out a, a, a collection recently where the writer categorically denied that he'd even written it, which didn't really help in terms of actually giving him a credit on the front cover. <laughs> um, I'll t and tell people later if they really want to know. Um, but I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, memory does cheat. I mean, I, I, people were asking, I, as mentioned, I edited Doctor Who magazine, I, and I put together a special that keeps getting cropping up on it online because it's got a, a, apparently it's got an edgy cover, which I did with rotrings and sources from the Marvel UK kitchen. Um, but there's a text story in it, and people are asking me, who wrote that text story? And, I'm, and there's no credit on it. So I started asking people who I thought might have written it, and they said, no, it wasn't for me. Then I suddenly realised the reason it hasn't got a credit on it is because I was the editor and I wrote it. Yeah, I did have a word. <laughs> Spanking. Yeah, when, when I was doing the British Superhero book, I was looking at the Power Annual, and I got in contact with Romero to ask him about the story that he did in there, and uh, he said, I never worked on that. <laughs> then I sent him some pictures and uh, he said, I have no memory of doing that. I didn't know that that book even came out. And I went, well, I'll send you a copy if you like. He went, oh, great. Because he, he never saw most of the stuff that, yeah. that actually got published. He did the work and sent it off. And he never actually, he didn't see a lot of it in print. This so, is my experience with a lot of the Spanish artists I interviewed as well, is that they just never saw anything. So they were delighted yeah. to see the scans of pages and things, you know, because they just sent it off into the ether and never yeah. got anything there's, there's, there's a chap um, in Spain, um, José Ruiz Amor, I think his name is, um, and he is after high-quality scans of um, Miguel Quesada's work, for instance, in, in girls' comics, so that he can translate them um, in Spanish and then share them with the, with the artists which is very noble, but he's coming around asking me for high-quality scans of something that I can't supply personally. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so if anyone has uh, it, the time and the energy and the source material to, to do scans that can then be shared with uh, uh, Del Amor, then uh, he, would, he would love it. But, but see, that's yes. the problem. Miguel Quesada drew for Ares throughout the 60s, so anybody that wants to scan all this stuff in, we're talking about thousands of pages. You know, some of these artists were working over here for 20 or 30 years, mm. and they were unbelievably fast as well, many of them. Someone like Isada, he was probably doing two or three pages a day. Many of them were. That's a hell of an undertaking to do, isn't it, <laughs> to scan all that? Yes, yeah. And of course, it's for that reason that a lot of artists didn't want their originals back. It's the yeah. same yeah. problem Peter's got. There's nowhere to yeah. put it. If yeah. you're working at that rate, you know, you you're going to have to take a second mortgage just to store your own work. My, my, Why did you bug his jaw so much? <laughs> <laughs> my, my favourite story is, with Mar is about Mario Capaldi, who you uh, did so much for, for Sylvanian families, just so Richard doesn't attack me. Uh, but also Care Bears, John Care Bears, Care Bears. John James Bond Jr., uh, many other things. 
and uh, Paul Neary uh, wanted to use the marble basement at Arundel House in London uh, for a, a sort of marble UK bullpen, but it was full, happened to be full of irritating artwork. So my partner at the time spent her summer, and she, she was paid, sorting out all the artwork and returned it to, to everybody. A few years later, I phoned Mario Capaldi up on something completely separate, and he said, you're the bugger who sent me all my artwork back. <laughs> <laughs> in my garage, I don't know what to do with it. It's blocking. I can't get my car in there. <laughs> I think it was somewhere around 1990 or 1991, I don't think you might remember, we were sent letters out. Um, I think it was from Robert Maxwell, might have been when he bought up IPCs, a number of IPC titles, where a letter went out to say, we have your artwork, if you want to come along, pick it up, um, here it is. And I, I do think a lot of artists actually said, well, what am I going to do with it all? And they didn't no. pick it up. No. So there was no, certainly... It all went in the skip. Yeah. halfway house. Or worse. Yeah. Sorry, please. There was a halfway house in that as well, the 2018, where they realised that they should give the artwork back. So they gave it back to you on the condition that you paid to have a silver print made of every page you got back. And a lot of people, you know, it's like I've now got to pay to have something that I own anyway. That carried on for a short time. Was that and they may well have destroyed artwork. It was a point. pound a page or something like that, didn't it? Uh, the, the figure I've got is four pounds a page, four but I may be wrong. Just transparency. Well, well, I know my question turned it down because <coughs> I am. Can't afford that. Mm. Well, he, he is the key example of why this is such a shame. Um, about, I think it was, it was 2006, I spent the summer at IPC's warehouse going through all the artwork. There were about 40,000 pages there altogether, but I catalogued pretty much everything. And certain artists were there in abundance, like Ted Kieran, there was something like one and a half thousand Robert Archie pages. Right. And that's a big pile of Robert Archie. <laughs> um, we found, uh, my friend Rufus and I, we found precisely zero pages by Mike Weston. None. Um, pages that tended to survive were from strips that could be sold abroad. That was the only reason they were of any value to IPC. So you would have something like uh, Trigon Empire. That was enormously saleable, so all that artwork was there. Carl the Viking, strips like that. Robert Archie was obviously a bit the Britain. from the Britain. Well, no, that, that wasn't there, because that was... Uh, oh, it wasn't there. No. Sold it, was it? Yeah. Um, Patty's World is probably IPC's most valuable strip, because it was sold in the most places, so that was all there. But clearly, the strips that Mike Weston drew, for whatever reason, were never sold abroad, so not a single page survived of his work for Valiant or um, whatever. Well, I think a lot, a lot of the earlier artwork had already gone. Yeah, mm, uh, there was there was a question over the amount that it was costing uh, to insure all of this artwork, and so some of the, the blocks of artwork, like the robot Archie that you're talking about, the person to thank for that is Barry Tomlinson who actually turned around and said, no, you can't get rid of all of this because we're still reprinting from it. So that's why the Steel Claw was saved. That's why Captain Hurricane was saved. Mm -hmm. um, but then, as you say, you know, there was this second tranche of uh, uh, more recent artwork from the late 70s and early 80s that went into battle and places like that yeah. that they tried to return. Um, yeah. But 
a lot of the artists turned it down. Well, the only reason that uh, Titan had access to um, Charlie's War was because Pat Mills insisted that his art, that Joe's artwork be returned to him. Yeah. And uh, it's to Pat Mills' credit that, that Joe got all his artwork back on that, and he only had tear sheets for everything else he ever did. So, as far as I know, that it was only Charlie's War that his family actually had, had which yeah, is why I, those IPC, are really great. IPC had all the art for Roy of the Rovers. Yeah. So that was there, but it wasn't returned to. See, when it was sold off, there was a cutoff point, which was 1970. So, any, any comics that were created after 1970 were part of the deal that was sold on to Robert Maxwell. Earlier titles um, were not sold on, so that's how IPC still had the originals. Can I just say something quickly? Um, I've seen Peter's collection and it is stunning and that video is amazing but it doesn't really do it justice. The only comparable experience I've had was to see the DC Thompson archive, yeah. which I went, which is like an Indiana Jones aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> right now, and I'm sure many people here have seen it, brown parcels of artwork. And I thought, wow, somewhere in there is my artwork that I did for DC Thompson. And each package is numbered. But as I understand it, the guy who had the notebook with the numbers of the packages which told you what was inside them had retired and nobody knew Well one of my favourite memories from that when we when we took you up there and it was as you say we tried to find the artwork in advance of you coming, but we couldn't. So it was just like shelves and shelves were for packages and uh, you were stood there in the midst of all this shouting Hello, boys. Do you still love Shirley? <laughs> 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 but, <laughs> but, but the next time you come up, we, had, we, put, we, put, we put a couple of students on it, and they, oh, found, all your, they found all your stuff, so by the time you came up the next well, time... Well, as long as they found my yeah, stuff, that's yeah, we had, we had that exhibition. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got a couple of pictures. I had some pictures which were taken from John's uh, post on down there. You're oh, credited. <laughs> so I had a few of these, but we, we've seen the we've seen the videos, so we don't really need to. Well, that one actually, go back a bit. Well, yeah, go back. That's a dummy, isn't it? Yeah, but those are These these are actually um, advertising books, and they, they they tell the story of how more sophisticated um, they got the further on they went. So you know the TV advertising and stuff kicked in. You know, if you go back to the 50s and stuff, they're advertising in women's magazines, they're advertising in, you know, um, all kinds of stuff, but there's nothing on the radio, and there's nothing happening anywhere else, really. Um, I think um, Eagle may have had a, an attempt at doing that. With, um, with the advertising, don't forget that IPC owned all of those magazines, so it yeah. wasn't actually costing them anything. No, it wasn't. So, I mean, they were getting a million pounds worth of free advertising, in effect, exactly. by putting them into all of their women's magazines because of the sale. And not only that, but, you know, they were specifically, obviously, um, making those advertisements for the kids' time on the television and stuff. Mm. And it's, it's just interesting to be able to look how it changed over the years. That's cute. Curious to know, Rob, from, from Rebellion, have you managed to track down some of the TV advertising for, for some of the early titles? Like, two, I mean, obviously, 2008, you find those on YouTube, but there are <laughs> others that people have vague memories of that nobody's been able to trace. 
I thought I'd just, just make it really difficult we for you today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put you on the spot. The, uh, the, the, no, not really. Not really. We've, <laughs> no. we've got a, a whole That was the dummies that we were talking about. That's a candy yeah. dummy. Um, all the pages are in there. Uh, never saw print. And there's another one as well. I mean, should, uh, mention. Do you want to talk about this, this Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I was starting to write the British superhero uh, book, you know, one of the great problems at the start was just trying to get a hold of this stuff. Uh, and uh, of course, from speaking to uh, to Peter, uh, of course, he, he said, instantly said, we've come down and have a look. I've got loads of stuff. So we came down and had a look. And indeed, you ended up giving me a big box of stuff, which uh, I held on to for quite a while. And seeing I some of this. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so seeing some of the original artwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really hard to think of. Yeah, so seeing some of the original Wonder Man artwork and some of the Marvel Man artwork, which is. Fantastic. But there's me in, in my office reading, a, actually reading a copy of Dynamic Frills and all, all these things. It just made such a difference to have this access to this, uh, to this uh, material, which is so difficult to get, to get hold of. Uh, this is uh, our archives uh, at the university. We've had one of our PhD students, Haley Austin, has been doing quite a lot of work in our, our archives recently, kind of cataloguing all the comic stuff uh, that we've got. Uh, and uh, we got a whole co collection from... Uh, of Oink, but along with all the editorial stuff, and uh, there's a whole, uh, there was a, uh, a donation uh, of several boxes of Oink, uh, which have got letters from Mary Whitehouse and so on, complaining about the comic. Uh, we've got our students, uh, we've got Olivia Hicks there, she's working uh, in the archive there, uh, reading, all the, reading all the comics. Uh, so we've been building up through donations and acquisitions uh, quite, a, quite a big, uh, well, uh, quite respectable comics collection. We, we published this recently, which is a comic uh, called Chronicle, which Haley led on, but many of our comic students uh, uh, contributed to. Uh, and there's a couple of copies over there. There's some comics that we publish at the university are on the table, so feel free to, to, pinch, to pinch those. Uh, but th this is a really interesting one to look at, because the comic students actually responded to materials that they found in the archives. They responded creatively to them, and we also told uh, the story uh, of the archive collection, how it's grown over the last several years. My favourite bit is the guy that runs the museums, uh, the museums collections at the university, is a guy called Matthew Jarin, who is impossibly tall. So every time he appears in this comic, his head is obscured by something. You never see him. So that was my little joke at his expense. Uh, but yes, yeah, so we've been actually using the archives uh, for, for teaching and research purposes. And I mentioned I've been writing the... Uh, uh, the book on Dundee's comics history, and so in our archive we've got uh, very substantial collections of these periodicals which were coming out uh, in the late 19th century and early 20th century. The Wasp, the Dundee Flagellator, is one of them, and you can start to see uh, comic strips actually starting to appear uh, in these, because, you know, DC Thompson's and, and Lang were, you know, hiring lots of cartoonists and comic artists that were in about this time, so... They were also working for other periodicals which they started, such as the City Echo and the Wasp. And there's, there's some fantastic uh, comic strips in here, uh, which are kind of really a kind of part of Dundee's comics history, which isn't really talked about or much, much known about. Uh, my, my, one of my particular favourites here is uh, just the illustration of one of the Dundee characters, Peter the Killer, uh, as it says. I don't know how he got that nickname. There you go. Yeah, but... <laughs> This is, well, this is when they were going to be opening, they were finding the funding to start the art school at Dundee, which eventually became uh, Duncan Johnson College of Art and Design. And this was a cartoon about what, art school, what the art school for Dundee 
what it may come to. And you can see the cartoon here of the two tramps kind of saying, you know, uh, models wanted, and you know, he's going to offer himself as Apollo. Uh, but intriguingly, over here, there's a, I've got a, we've got what we may expect to see in the permanent gallery. Of course, it's Wee Willie and Tear Tim. Which is these, which is these, and this is kind of fantastic because, of course, somebody's kind of mocking the idea of we start an art college, what's, what, what kind of material is going to end up in our local art collections, what's well, going to be comic strip characters. And, you know, a hundred odd years later, that's exactly what we've got. <laughs> so, so eerily prescient. I thought, I thought it was really funny to find this kind of material. And, yeah, we're, we're, I think uh, this is just a kind of... Yeah, that one on the right, you need to explain. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> well my point here is that, you know, we go over to San Diego Comic Con quite a lot, and uh, we're always telling the kind of story of British comics history. And we find that there is such an interest in British comics history, presented by Misty, the, the full talked about stream, and that's obviously me doing hard research there and <laughs> enjoying myself. I, I'd but, like to object. Yeah. About a third of my possible purchase of my collection has gone to San Diego. Yeah. From the yeah. expenditures. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not better. <laughs> cool. Uh, we also, you know, encounter all kinds of other characters and things uh, at uh, San Diego Comic Con. And there's all this kind of research uh, that's coming out of this. Of course, David's been here and, and Julia's uh, here uh, as well, as well as my own. Uh, one, one archive I just wanted to mention very briefly is we've talked a lot about Dennis, about Dennis Gifford, and we're going to hear more about him. A lot of his stuff, because he did a lot of work on film, turned up at the BFI. They, they acquired a lot of his, a lot of his stuff. But also, uh, there is a quite substantial amount of material related to comics that are in that collection that they acquired along with all the film stuff. Uh, I got into this a good few years ago, and it's all kind of amazing things that he kind of created. He created a oh boy comic here, which uh, has got some sketches by him and Mr. Muscle superhero that he did. So there's all these little comics that he's made uh, himself that are in those archives. Uh, and things like this, kind of, he, he was cutting out strips and recoloring them. He was creating this landscape comic called, called G-Wiz, which is, I think he was really kind of thinking how he would pitch a kind of reprint strip. Uh, there he is there, and this is some of the boxes that the BFI's got in his collection. What I found so remarkable about this is that when they acquired this, they acquired it for the film stuff. They didn't really know anything about the comic stuff that they were getting. So when I went there, when I found out about it and went there, they told me that I was pretty much one of the first researchers that had come to actually look at the comic stuff. So they didn't have a clue what was in it. So I was turning up things like, I was saying, there's letters here from Jerry Siegel. And they were like, who's that? And I was like, this guy who creates Superman. And they were like, oh, is that important? I was like, yeah. So they were, they were making me write down who these people were and putting them in the envelopes. So, so you said, yeah, no, I should have just said, oh, it's, it's sort of... Yeah. I'll, I'll take it I'll take it off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was, they were, don't think I didn't suggest exactly that. <laughs> He was corresponding with, uh, with Will Eisner. It was really low light in this room, so I was taking photos slightly surreptitiously. Uh, and so they're not of great quality, but he was talking to Marcus Morris uh, of Eagle fame. And this is a kind of long, uh, several letters of correspondence between him uh, and Marcus Morris, which get re really interesting. And he's also sharing comics with the editors of Mad Magazine. He was sending them his own artwork to try and get published in Mad Magazine, but he was also sending them examples of British comics. They were sending him stuff and they were sharing. And we, we were get, we get these uh, people like Al Feldstein who's kind of giving critiques back on, on, on British comics to him. There's a brilliant bit here where he says, you know, we really love the comic strip that you've sent us. It's very much in a, in a mad 
kind of vein of humour, but he also uh, uh, recommends that, you know, to really kind of nail it, you should try taking dope. <laughs> so, so, the things that you discover in archives is really wonderful. He was speaking to Stan Lee, uh, he was speaking to people at, at DC. I also found some of his notebooks where he was doing lots of dirty sketches. Uh, and this is the kind of thing you're not going to likely see reprinted. As many people will know, he was good friends uh, with and collaborated with Bob Monkhouse, who went on to become very famous oh, British. Uh, and yeah, you, of course, you can see this rather crude sketch of a, of a sexual act, and it says underneath, the monkhouse way. Uh, I don't know what this implies, but there's, there's all manner of strange and odd things that you could only really encounter uh, in an archive. This is not the kind of stuff that we ever see print. Of course, the, the utility of all this stuff is, of course, for research. It's also great interest to the public, and I think the great success of some of the exhibitions we've had over the last few years. We had one in, uh, a record-breaking one in Dundee uh, a few years back in Frank Whiteley. And of course, there is an attempt to try and get a comic centre in Dundee, but I can't say much more about that at this crucial delicate stage of negotiations. But yeah, just we change this for the wine reception. It's worth mentioning that Bob Monkhouse had a fantastic yes. collection himself. There was a documentary about him about five or six years ago, and there's for a few seconds we're walking through one of his rooms, and I'm looking and I'm thinking, that's Frank Bellamy. That's a Frank Bellamy. That's a Frank Bellamy. He's all these originals. He had a good relationship. And they're all overseas. Yeah. All yeah. of the originals that have been selling, Bellamy originals that have been selling, majority have gone overseas. Really? Yeah, that Phil didn't sell. Belgium, mostly. Right. Holland, I see. I see. But again, that was another fantastic resource. Because he was a uh, an obsessive collector of all sorts of things. Well, oh yes, I think of films. Especially. He recorded everything he'd done. He had an early recorder, video yeah, recorder. That's right, and tapes of radio shows, all sorts of things. It was an archive that a lot of the, pub, uh, the broadcasters didn't have themselves. But again, I think that's now been broken up and sold through auction. Yeah. As you were saying, more was a pity. Well, his family didn't know what to do with it, basically. Well, they wouldn't, and this no. is very often the case. The same with. Same with Artists that are, I mean, we're jokingly about people passing away, but I mean, for example, there's a, a, a one Romanian eagle artist whose family isn't very very aware of what he did and, and aren't, aren't interested in what he did. And when he disappears, who knows what will happen to his archive? Whereas there are others like Mike Noble's family who've been very careful careful to make sure that his, his memory is preserved and that he, the place things will go to go to people who appreciate. The work for what it is. Well, there is a story about uh, Jim Holdaway, who was the artist of Velocity Blades. I would say one of the best artists ever to work in this country. Uh, my friend Jeff West came into possession of a vast pile of original pages, which he got from a distributing company, actually. And he was giving money to Jim Holdaway's wife whenever he would sell some of the originals, which was very good. And he asked her, do you have anything else? You know, do you... Did Jim keep things for himself? Oh no, we've not got anything of interest. He'd ask her again and again. Oh no, nothing of interest. She died. And purely by chance, some builders who were throwing the contents of the house into a skip came to Jeff. And they said, well, we've got these things here. Is this of any interest to you? And they were Jim Holdaway's concept artwork for Modesty Blades, which had been 
taken out of a skip, along with a few sketchbooks and uh, scrapbooks. But because it wasn't finished art, she hadn't understood the nature of it, I suppose. But here's the question. What else was in the skip? Mm. We don't know. And, and again, you know, so for instance, people's uh, record books, log books, um, letters and so forth, um, not everyone is going to value those. No. Not everyone is going to see those as being worth commenting on um, or... But this, this is what I was saying about Peter's collection, is, is down to his letters of correspondence, which, you know, we don't, and, and you mentioned the correspondence in Beer Bar, the stuff, um, the artist, I can't remember, this guy, the guy, there's, there's an archive of, of one particular artist in Bolton Library of all places, you know, uh, you know Portsmouth Heritage Centre has got all the scoops oh, material. Is Yes, yeah, Dennis McLaughlin, his archive's there. You know, I haven't been down to see it, it's not that far away. I mean, we've talked about going to see, talk to the press, to the Lancashire Evening Post, to see if there's any early Leo Baxendale work, because they do have a small archive of sorts, but not much. That, the thing is that it's... it's but it's all over the place. It's, it's all over the place. And it's so, it's so interesting because, you know, that Baxendale was, was doing newspaper cartoon strips. Mm. And um, Rob, I showed um, Baxendale's, one of Baxendale's sports cartoon strips from before he joined Thompson uh, that just popped out of the woodwork. In, a, mm. in an auction down in Lancashire, mm. and it's signed <coughs> by Leo, and it's definitely Leo. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you know, stuff does sort of spring up out of nowhere. Which also brings us all around back to the central theme of this symposium, comments jam, that makes it all more important that Peter's collection is preserved for the nation in That's some way. Like. And also the fact that people become aware there are collections of these things. Exactly. So if they come across something comic-related that they're not too sure yeah, about, I mean, I'm, they know that it is of interest. I'm sure you've been at a convention where somebody's come up and said, oh, I've got all the Royal the Rovers in the loft. Yeah. You know, are they worth anything? Or I've got a 1939 Hotspur annual. You know, Where yeah. would I sell that? You know, There needs to be like an antiques roadshow of comics of sorts, isn't there? <laughs> That's got a high profile where people are valuing comics. and it does, They do pop up occasionally well, in antiques roadshow. It's, it's not such a silly idea, but it is, it's the sort of thing that people... That will get them interested in, in the whole importance of this. Well, the, the, the thing that gave me more pleasure than anything I've ever had in, in being involved in this was when DC Thompson copped up and left about 2,000 pages of their artwork out of the archive because they didn't realise that when they demolished the warehouse, all of that rubbish down at the end black bags full of Thompson's artwork and signed off on it to the, to the demolition guy. And I got a call from the, the, the shop in Dundee um, saying, do you want to come and look at some of this stuff? <laughs> so, you know, um, I, my number of Dundee DC Thompson comics went from less than 20 to about 1,250 <laughs> overnight. In black bags. <laughs> okay. And I took them to the next meeting with Jim Pee Wee and all the boys signed up. <laughs> I think we're just about out of time, so Chris, do you want to just... Well, I was just going to ask Julia, because yeah. obviously you've written your book very recently about mm. your experience of kind of uh, researching 
yeah. and interviewing people. And interviewing people. Yeah, it's been really hard. I mean, it's been like, for, it's been, I mean, I've been helped so much by people like David, who not only shared all his knowledge of artists, but put me in touch with editors and people who put me in touch with more editors. And so it was like following a kind of daisy chain of tracking people down. And a few of the people I've spoken to have since died, which is obviously really sad, but that information and more stuff they could have told us has been lost. Um, but I think what really came out of it was the idea that um, there's a lot of invisible work that has been not recognised and lost as well. So the art editors like Jack Cunningham that I spoke to were, you know, not remotely convinced their work had been acknowledged, was significant, would ever be remembered. Jack told me with a laugh that, you know, he, he thought I'd be lucky if I got an article out of it rather than a whole book. <laughs> um, and I was really looking forward to sending him a copy, but obviously I can't now. Um, oh. Yeah, same with the art assistant, Ted Andrews. Um, so as well as the artists um, who have been very hard to identify, but people don't like David, have done <coughs> fantastic work. Um, there's obviously the writers, and the only writers' names I've got have come from editors who have done some writing themselves or said I remembered vaguely who wrote this. And often then it's been contradicted and denied, and then I've been <laughs> shown scripts with people's names actually on them, so it all rolls on. But yeah, the editors, the arts assistants, um, all the other people in that machine um, whose, yeah, whose work is completely lost. So the materials that you've got, like the ledgers and the letters and the dummies and all those things, I think are just really important as well as all that original artwork that perhaps already has that cultural value attached to it. And I think it's invisible in the sense of being undervalued, as you were just saying, but it's also invisible in the sense of, you know, the editorial uh, staff, uh, the in-house staff, um, did did do work that helped to create the look of the of the comic that was read. Yeah, more so than I think than that's very realised. Yeah, from the people I spoke to. Um, again, Jack Cunningham told me that he was erasing borders and you know blurring photocopying and blowing up different different panels and rearranging the whole shape of the page you know so my project initially I wanted it to look at whether page layouts could be tied to particular artists if there were idiosyncratic ways they laid out the page but a lot of what I learned from Jack and Ted really undermined that and kind of just said that they were making a lot of these changes um, so I sort of yeah lost that avenue of inquiry but learned a lot about what the editor did but so, say, yeah. say about the database Oh yeah, but about the database. Um, give, it, give a preview of A preview of what I've been trying to do. Um, so one other thing that I tried to do out of the MISTI research was to put together online open access notes, artists' names, all, all the material that David gave me. And then in the hands of a data champion at my university, which is an exciting sounding role, um, <laughs> this has started to become something a lot bigger where he's been... Um, scraping scans and public, public, uh, publication information, dates, titles, and so on. And we're trying to make it into a much bigger SQR database where you can access all the information we have and cross-reference it in ways with, that we With limited before. access, so don't worry about the copyright. Mm. <laughs> well, we don't know where we're going to go with it at all. Um, but one thing it can do, of course, is allow us to see where, how often reprints happen, to put things side by side, to see the changes that were made as things got cut up and reprinted in different publications and so on, as well as all sorts of other questions. Okay. I, think, uh, I think we've got time for a couple of quick questions, but we've got a little bit over schedule. So if anyone has any quick questions, we'll take Alex. Obviously, everyone has been talking about the preservation of physical comics and physical current material, you know, letters to editors and whatnot, and it's a very important subject. But I was wondering if any of the universities, whether it's BOMO or Dundee or UAL, is doing anything to preserve comics material online. I'm thinking, I mean, particularly if your server went down, if your server went down, there should be a copy being made right now of Bear Alley and Down the Tubes 
of Jenny's website. Well, for, for example, uh, I recently wrote an I was writing an article on um, the house that groans, and I went to look for an interview that I knew Carrie Fransman had done for the Forbidden Planet International blog. That's gone. Mm. You know, has anyone made a copy of the FBI blog? No, they didn't. No. Um, it was saved, partially saved on the Internet Archive, and if you go to the Internet Archive, you can find some of it, but not all. Um, I have been told that they have a copy, but they haven't decided to put, whether to put it back on or not. So if you want to talk to anybody, talk to Kenny Penman and keep asking him why he hasn't put it back up. Thank you. Bear Alley is uh, one of the blogs that the British Library uh, maintains. Uh, as, as is down the tubes. And the British Library is in the process of, uh, and I've worked with them to a certain extent, as, as has the, um, the commercial site Comic House, to uh, digitise and, and archive uh, digital comics, uh, which obviously has is significantly grown since 1990 onwards. And, the, and they're trying to work out ways to actually preserve that entire sphere of com the comics medium, which isn't documented up in print in many cases at all. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, I take your point. It is important. It can get overlooked, um, and it can be reliant on like one individual or whatever, and and then suddenly they decide to close it down, delete the blog or whatever. Um, I mean, mine is just WordPress blog. I mean, unless WordPress goes down, then I don't think that it's in that much danger. But but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a question. Um, and with the database um, that uh, that uh, Ian and Julia have been working on with Bournemouth, that was one of the questions that I had, you know, how how does it get archived, how does it get maintained, um, what happens if uh, if Ian, the data champion, um, you know, decides to give it all up and move to Brazil or whatever, I mean, I, um, it, it is on university uh, services, and stuff, um, so it's part of the university structure, but yeah, I mean, th these, are, these are questions that need to be considered it as well. It would be fantastic if there was a British version of Tobiosfera which has every Spanish comic ever printed with credits and description of what's in it. I mean, the work that's gone into it is out of this world. I can't imagine beginning to do it with British comics. Yes, well, that's I what think, I was going to say. Yeah, well, so so I, I think that the, the, um, the, Bournemouth, one, the Bournemouth one is a, is a potential start of that sort of thing. Um, but where does any funding come in if it does end up costing money? Who will? I mean, Which I think there's there's a there's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of, um, of volunteering goodwill that you can get with kind of crowdsourcing the information potentially, um, and that's something that again, you know, I want to make sure that we have some instructions on how to, you know, potentially add to that. But then the more people you have access accessing the data, then you do you are going to get questions about copyright and. You know how
this experience because British British comics are on a very different trajectory from a lot of countries. And there is this problem of, oh, I don't think it's worth preserving. And, you know, is that a particularly British thing? And is that why the kind of state of preservation maybe isn't in such a parlous state? You know, so, so just remember, you know, we'll, we'll be coming for you. British comics are very, very undervalued, I think, far more than other countries. Just as an example of how frustrating it can be, um, going back to Misty, there was a famous artist who drew for Misty called Shirley Bowwood. It turns out that the agency that represented her on Misty is still going now. B.L. Keeley, their name is. Mm. And they represented Pat Turat and uh, Gwen Turat, uh, Don Harley, all very famous artists in comics. I spoke to them several times to try to get through to the artists. Um, they would never pass on any letters. Um, they would never um, invite their own artists to comic conventions. because they, they just said to me, they're not interested in comics. They put this behind them. Because you're wasting your time. Frustratingly, um, they have vast numbers of original pages of strips like Tiffany Jones, newspaper strip, and they're sitting on them. They won't do anything with it at all because they simply do not value comics. So the agency that represents these artists was a barrier against them getting to, any sort of recognition in their life. To be fair, though, in the case of Shirley Bellwood, she didn't value her comics work either. No, no, but it's part of this snobbery of, yeah. uh, you know, against comics that we've, yes, you know, as comics fans and so forth, we yeah. have experienced. But it's also a problem because, for the BL, because at this point, they're, um, the way that they're going about it for various reasons is, you know, they're going to comics house, where they're asking, asking them to ask authors, creators, to send their material in off their own bat. You know, yeah. and that's how kind of on the ground it works. That's so understood. you have to you have to value your you have to think, oh yeah, my my work is is valuable enough to be a British librarian to be preserved for years and years and years. And how many people do. You know, people don't actually, people, yeah. people aren't generally aware that they're legally obliged to submit material to the British Library, which is another issue, which is the one thing that they have tried to surmount. Got an ISBN, I think, no, no, it doesn't, it's no. everything. Mm. If you've had it published and sold it, then it does that. You're not supposed to send a copy. Well, I mean, I think the way the legislation works, because I did some work with the advisors panel that made these recommendations, that um, in, in terms of, of some of the material, it's not, it's, it's not a legal requirement. It depends oh, right. Depends on what type of materials it is, and and for other materials, it's on a purely voluntary basis. And I think this is where the yes. digital comics falls in. And, and magazines, I think, are under that um, voluntary basis because yeah, because the, the sorry the the Bodleian Library had a, an exhibition recently yeah. about comics. It was a tiny small thing, yeah. um, and they said, oh, actually, we haven't got very much comics because actually they didn't give us all of them, and we didn't chase them up because we don't care enough, and nobody knows anything about it anyway. So there was like one person who was interested and put together this tiny small exhibition. The, the last yeah. meeting I went to at the British yeah. Library. Sorry. Yeah. 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 I want to continue conversation over the break. There's okay. going to be a short break just now, so grab whoever you want to talk to now. Thank you. Um, we'll have a quick 20 minute break. Sure. Thank you.